Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello. Olivia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we always start so well. It always makes me laugh and then we get started on the right foot and I like it. Yeah, good stuff. We have lots of good, fun links here today to share with everybody. This is true. You found a bunch of cool stuff. There's a little bit of interesting type news, and I'm very excited about our Nerd Alert this week. We came up with a good idea that uh, I think is going to be fun to chat about. Absolutely. A little preview of our Nerd Alert. It's going to be a list of our favorite books. And actually, we'll probably talk a little bit about the website that has kind of had a makeover recently, thanks to Micah. Oh, I didn't even think to mention that. That reminds me, there is a cool Twitter account that tweeted about us today. I think I saw that. I think they saw that we had like a new specimen page for each of our fonts yes yeah type specimens.xyz it's by mark bolton who i'm a big fan of he's like a pretty famous and awesome designer and he started this twitter account a while ago that only has 398 followers which shocks me because it's cool they're just like tweeting about hey here's a cool type spec Mm -hmm. and i they didn't tag us. I just kind of saw it on my feed this morning because I follow them and like that account. And I was like, wait a minute, I designed that page. And it's the newly gothic page for the sites that we secretly published recently. It's a beautiful specimen page. And you can finally type into the text boxes and see how any sort of leak font will look like with your text. Yeah, it shows you the many different styles that we have for the fonts that we have and a type tester and how many glyphs there are and what they all are. And you can filter down to like search to see if there is a glyph and character sets and even font features and little FAQs for some of the questions that we get all the time. And actually, speaking of League Gothic, Tyler sent me a message yesterday saying that he has been hacking on a new variable version, redid a bunch of the masters, and hopefully he's going to do a pull request for that soon. I mean, it's existing on his GitHub, so it exists. We just got to like pull it in. It's going to be really fun. I I would really enjoy a variable version of League Gothic. Right? I think a lot of people have been hoping for that. Well, I'll keep my eye out for it. So, you know, that was a bit of a tangent, but cool news. And so actually our first link of this week is what we're going to talk about last, which is our favorite type and design books. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw that one on the end and we can jump into the next good link that we have for this week. And speaking of good, it is called The Good Line Heights. This is an awesome little small site, small but mighty, that helps you determine your line height for your typography on the web. You can input specific font sizes and it has this great multiplier, which basically will multiply the point size from your font by a number that will calculate your letting, which is your line height, which is actually how I do my line height on my website. I do kind of like a multiplier. I think it might be like 1.4. So whatever the size of my font, I want my line height to be like 1.4 to the size of that. And that always kind of gives me some good breathing room for my letters while also kind of staying into one specific unit of text. 
Yeah, I think that's an underappreciated nice thing about CSS is that you can do a multiplier instead of explicitly saying what what pixels or whatever you want. And so that mm -hmm. it can adjust depending on the size of the text automatically. I think if you're a print designer, you actually might be used to this with Adobe products. I think their default multiplier when you just type in some text before you customize your letting is 1.2. So if anyone remembers seeing like parentheses around their letting point size in Adobe, any of the Adobe products, it's because that was the default letting when they multiply your font size by 1.2. But obviously, I typically actually do change that. Yeah, and this was uh, just kind of a cool tool that somebody posted to help you pick out your typography. The guy's name is Fran Perez. And uh, somebody who works at frame.io, if you know that one, it's like a cool uh, product for collaborating on video editing. And it's just cool. nice. You know, it's just like, hey, there's, it's real easy to make a cool tool that's helpful. This is worth bookmarking. I'm definitely going to bookmark it. The next bookmark that I have in my links, or I guess the next link that I will bookmark is letteringmaker.com. And it's a tool called Lettering Maker. And it was started by the wonderful Martina Floor, who is certainly a lettering artist hero of mine. And it actually helps you create briefs for yourself for lettering projects. So I think like lettering is a specific niche of design that people will tend to veer towards. It's just custom letter forms for can usually like a short amount of words because it's not necessarily a typeface. And I think getting started with that is quite hard because a lot of people see like the masters of lettering and there's really hard to find like an in-between when you're starting out. And how do you even start? Like what words do you letter? So this is a website that just literally generates briefs and it gives you the text. It gives you what kind of style you should use. It gives you the weight what this lettering could be used for and they have different levels so they have beginner advanced and pro levels and i, I definitely think this is really helpful for someone stuck in a creative block so brief if that word does not make sense off the bat without looking at this it, it's kind of just like what would a client come to you with what kind of adjectives can we give you to start spurring your creativity you know these are all random adjectives that it generates like make a script with an extreme width that's very heavy some contrast for the word flower and then you hit refresh and it gives you totally different adjectives mm -hmm. and you know what's kind of nice too is for this idea at least they say select a date to give yourself a deadline just to force yourself to actually do it mm -hmm. i'm curious how you feel about this kind of thing because we've seen a handful of these i've seen them for like uh logo design practice for product design practice this is a cool one for lettering practice is this a thing that you ever used, like a random brief generator? I wish I did, because I think lettering is something where I, I could only, I would only go through a lettering project if I felt really passionate about maybe the words that I'm using or really passionate about the letter style that I want to try out. But I think what lettering is I've learned recently is that the more you actually practice it, the better you're going to be. And it's okay if like the early stages aren't like the most, like, fleshed out conceptual pieces. I think like the more you do lettering, the more you'll understand letter forms. And when you want to start making like your dream phrase or your dream project, you'll just ha be more comfortable working with letter forms. I think lettering is such a craft that you have to just kind of start with. And I think the more you do it, the better. So I'm all for this sort of thing. I would definitely use it. 
I certainly think it's interesting and I'm glad she made it. I think my brain, I would, I would generate one. I'd be like, yeah, cool. And then I would never make time to actually do it. No matter if I gave myself this Mm. deadline or not. And so I, I sometimes think this is a cool idea, but I personally have the personality that I would only actually do it if it was me and a handful of people doing it at the same time. There's an actual deadline where we're all going to like show each other at the end. And I've often thought like, that could be a fun part of the league community element. Yeah, that'd be really like fun. Actually working on stuff together for practice. There's a similar tool that I actually used in lettering class, in Lynn Yoon's lettering class called Type Cooker. And it gives you all these parameters to make type. And like, it was really fun. She actually did like a timed exercise. So she's like, okay, you had three minutes to use these Type Cooker parameters. So it's like an extended Roman, all uppercase, bold font, sure. And then after like a few minutes, she'd be like, okay, you have half an hour. Now what do you develop? Mm. And it was really interesting to see how your brain thinks fast and slow and what just like comes to mind to get yourself a little bit loose. Yeah. Some of that is like kind of necessary to actually do the thing is to set a time limit and like be in a social setting of some kind. I am all for time limits these days. I feel like, you know, I, I'm a perfectionist. And because of Mm. that, it's like, I can, Sometimes just we'll spend hours just cycling through ideas and then come right back to where I started. So, you know, I think I would love some sort of community timed event, maybe with league members. We should definitely think about that. Yeah. Anyway, very <laughs> cool brief prompt from very cool lettering artists. Our next link we are sharing with a heavy heart. Ed Bengat recently passed, I believe last week, and he was an absolute master of typography and lettering. He was 92, so it certainly contributed to the type world for several decades. And there's a wonderful obituary that we're sharing from the New York Times that kind of talks through his career. He's touched so many things. He did a lot of photo lettering. I think that was like the height of his career, but ultimately has just contributed to typography and lettering in so many ways. He's redrawn the New York Times logo at one point. He's worked for countless clients that you've definitely heard of, AT&T, Esquire, Ford. I think he might have made the classic Esquire logo, actually. And his font, Bengat, is used in the Stranger Things opening sequence, which I've always been a fan of and always will be. Very sad. You know, I know a lot of people were upset on the day that that happened, and that was a tough day for a lot of peeps. But also, you know, what an incredible life in addition to the history of design for a human being. How magnificent. Yeah, there's a great video in this obituary, too, by Type Directors Club, and he talks about how he started off as a musician, and then because he was in World War II, he's like literally been, he's really, truly (laughs) an elder of the type community, After the war, he came back and said that the government was paying for their education, so he could really have any choice of what he wanted to be, and he kind of was just like, being an artist seems like a great thing, and (laughs) started taking art classes, and that's kind of what brought him to being the like master lettering artist and typographer that he's recognized as today. He also worked on a redrawing of Souvenir, which is like one of my favorite retro fonts, mm. which wasn't retro, I'm sure, when he was working on it. <laughs> but he taught he taught at SBA. I mean, even Lynn Yoon said that he, I think he was one of her teachers when she was there. Oh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, so he's been teaching even into the old age. So he's like very much loved by a lot of the type community, even the younger members. 
And there's a really nice quote at the end of this that ties into the, the music background you just mentioned where he said, music is placing sounds to me in their proper order. So they're pleasing to the ear. That's all. What is graphic design? Placing things in their proper order so they're pleasing to the eye. I like that. I think that's a really nice quote to end on that. I, I also agree. So definitely look into this article, look into his work. I'm sure there's many things that you recognize out in the world that you're like, oh my God, I didn't know he did that. So definitely it's a good time to be celebrating all of his work. Contributions. Yeah. Our next article comes from Adobe and it's the new fonts and a new look for Adobe fonts boundaries. So it kind of talks about the updated interface they have on Adobe fonts, which I think like a lot of designers, at least I know use, I use a ton. They're trying to showcase the foundries a little bit more. There's custom specimens in some of the fonts that weren't included before. There's also a bunch more fonts available at Adobe fonts. I think if they did over 200 more additions. So there's kind of a great list of all the new fonts you can keep your eye out for. I always love reading these articles to see what foundries are offering more stuff on Adobe fonts because some of my favorite foundries are on there. I know Oh No Typeco is on there, Zootipos actually does have a new font on there, I think, with this new rehaul. And it's really fun. There's some great black letter fonts I'm excited to use, even though I usually don't have too much design work I can use black letter for, but who knows? Maybe I'll find something soon. Start making some like league posters and whatever you feel like making so that you have an excuse to use all of the fonts that you don't get to use on a regular basis. That's what we need. That's not a bad idea. I will admit I do. So we, you know, our partners with Adobe, they are wonderful sponsors of this podcast. And we had some idea that they were working on this. And so it's nice to see how they are implementing this. And I do love getting to scroll through these blog articles like this and get some inspiration in, you know, seeing a bunch of different types in use for stuff that I might just not find otherwise. So Adobe is actually a sponsor of this podcast and they have a really interesting tool and it's just been updated. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use however you like. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal, jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month if you want to get those goodies next week. Very Love cool. It. What else we got? All right. Our next article is from Print Magazine, and it's titled Black Designers, Forward in Action, Part 4. So this was actually a follow-up of quite an extensive series that Cheryl D. Holmes Miller has written for Print Magazine. And I just think it's, you know, notable in the content, but also notable to kind of think about Cheryl D. Holmes Miller as someone that's trying to move graphic design history from the popular discourse into kind of something that is much more inclusive of the black designers that have been participating in graphic design history for decades. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of background. In 1987, Cheryl D. Holmes Miller wrote this piece, Black Designers Missing in Action for Print. So that was in 87. So this has clearly been a topic that 
she has brought to light that I can't say I know any other popular figure in graphic design history that really works hard at this. And then in 2016, she wrote a follow-up, Black Designers Still Missing in Action. There's seriously still major gaps in inclusivity in the design world. I think it's pretty obvious if you're in the industry. And so to conclude her trilogy, she actually wrote a four-part basically think piece and call to action for a print magazine. And this is the fourth part of it. I highly suggest you reading the other three articles and you know, discuss major flaws in the telling of graphic design history and the textbooks that we read and, you know, what we're exposed to and what we even know. And so I think she's kind of took it upon herself to, on LinkedIn, posts tidbits, and she calls it decolonizing graphic design history. Mm-hmm. And she points out things that, like, I even had no idea one of them, did you know Reynold Ruffin's Glazer's founding partner at Pushpin was a black designer? I knew about Pushpin, but I didn't realize that at all. You know, I'm kind of wondering why that wasn't included in a lot of my history. And she talks about how so much of our design history and what we still continue to worship is all made by white male designers, talking about how we can change that and what we need to recognize. She talks about Meg's history of graphic design which is a book I love and I think does a really good telling of graphic design history, but, you know, it still misses a lot of people and still is not inclusive. There are only 62 women, 80 uh, people of color, and three black people mentioned in the book, and there's 594 designers mentioned. So those statistics are, yeah, it's crazy. And I, I think that you know, she's not calling for us to denounce Meg's history of graphic design, but I think she's thinking it's time that we re-edit it to be more representative of, you know, other people besides white males. So she um, gives shout-outs to wonderful, you know, Black designers and creatives working right now that have been innovative in their field. She talks about Black graphic design in the United States that have been going around for centuries, since even um, the 1700s that just, like, aren't recognized or known about. She quotes W.E.B. Du Bois, who was talking about it at the time too, who I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of because he worked on the data portraits. So definitely just, I promise you, you'll learn something new, whether it's about the current telling of our history or the past history of Black designers in the industry. This content is like what we need to start educating everyone on kind of how to decolonize what we thought was what history was and to understand what it really was. I love that. I'm really curious. Where did you find this? How did you find this? I actually, someone reposted it on Twitter, but I've known about her work with Print Magazine on this just because that conference where the Black designers Mm. that happened earlier this summer referenced her work as, you know, one of the earliest establishing pieces of someone questioning the nature of the demographics within the design industry. So great good stuff expanding your mind is what i want all of you listeners to do (laughs) our next one micah this is my favorite link from this week i have to say i thoroughly enjoyed this as something that relaxed me and it's something that inspired me and something that made my eyes visually happy it's very cute and very olivia style So this article is called Daily Routines, and the company ReadyMag interviewed five designers from totally different backgrounds in design and just talked about 
how they stayed productive and creative. They have some really adorable and charming illustrations. There's five designers they interviewed. I think each of them live in different places, have really just great different perspectives. And they talk about just like how they get out of their creative rut, kind of what their routine is. There's a wonderful little graphic on each page about what they do depending on what time of day it is. And they also include links to places that inspire them. And I think it was just like felt really down to earth. It mm. wasn't like, it wasn't these design heroes being like, well, I wake up at 5 a.m. and then I like do all this crazy stuff and no, it was really relatable as far as them being vulnerable about like what they can and can't do to find creativity, how it works for them. You know, a lot of them say they like to bring some snacks with them to the to the desk to keep them motivated. <laughs> and each of them kind of have their own strategies. And I just, it really warmed my heart. It was a positive piece. I definitely think I got a lot out of it. There's a lot of like cute animations as you're scrolling. And there's, uh, it also seems like a pretty diverse group of interesting and different people, which I respect. Yeah. There was a woman in Mumbai, yeah, in India, and just talking about, you know, how her work in the context of being a graphic design female in Mumbai, and that was just totally not a perspective that I hear often. Mm. Um, she even says, even when I draw by hand, I almost always finalize all the colored stuff on the computer because in India she said you can't get the really really bright colored pencils which is what she usually starts drawing with and illustrating with and That's she has some really beautiful illustration work her name was Mira Mel M-I-R-A-M-A-L-H-O-T-R-A so there's designers there's illustrators they all have uh, very extensive bodies of work so check it out I love that uh, the inspiration links at the bottom because you know when when there's a designer that you're reading about and you're like, oh, I also follow that. It makes you feel nice. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I've never heard of that one. And it's always like a little bit of bonding and a little bit of discovery. Yes, yes. I, this I, also I, makes me think I got to share this. There's a book that I found once at like a yard sale that I love. It's a very normal book. I don't know why I mentioned that I found it at a yard sale, but it was called Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. I've seen that book in bookstores. I got to get my hands read it? on it. No, but I, I love that kind of stuff. I should read it. I mean, since we're talking about books today, that's one of those ones where it's a lot of historical figures in there. Like, you know, talking about how Benjamin Franklin spent his morning yes. and like... Yeah, Benjamin Franklin like used to wake up crazy early. Yeah, he was a great example of an absolute insane person. Like he would wake up at like 3.30 in the morning, do like four hours of work. Like he was... He was the definition of hustle and grind, I feel, but not everyone was that crazy. Some of them were like, yeah, I don't know. I like wake up at 10 and I like have a coffee and then I have breakfast. And by 1 p.m. I'm finally like feeling a little inspired and I work for an hour, but then I need lunch. And it's like, oh, that's that's relatable way back from Victorian times. Right. Yeah. No, I, I do got to get my hands on that because I love hearing about people's Daily routines. Someone else has a book right now about daily routines that I've been meaning to get my hands on. I was very interested. So that wraps up our links, except our last link we're going to talk about is from our site. <laughs> and it's our theme of alert. So for context, we we recently updated our site. We mentioned this in the beginning of like wanting to beef up the font pages, but we also want to start making a bunch of hubs for learning about type and design. I'm sure everybody who's listened to our podcast for some chunk of time knows how much we care about teaching about type and design. And like, 
we want our site to be able to reflect that. So one of the easy ways to start was, you know, while we're like building out a much more educational membership section, we were like, let's throw some books up that, you know, that people would be able to learn from and just make that available to everybody. And that was, that was a very cool idea for you, Olivia, that you proposed that we do. And so you found a bunch of your favorite books. And I was like, shoot, a bunch of these were my favorite books too. We should just put these up. And for what it's worth, these are actually affiliate links that, you know, we earn a couple bucks from if anybody decides, Ooh, I love that. And I've always wanted a copy of that. I want to buy them. And it's from a really cool site that you found, Olivia, called Bookshop. I don't remember the nitty gritty details, but I think that, it basically has allowed indie bookstores to stay open during this time and not have to forfeit all of their sales to Amazon. And I know that a lot of indie bookstores are on there. And when you buy from them, they get a very large portion of the profit, if not all of it. And then there's other you know, smaller companies like The League that we created our own book front where we get a very small portion of the profits if you buy one of our books. But I think the rest actually goes to other small indie bookstores and a small portion get, goes to the operating fees for Bookshop. Yeah, so like, you know, if the if any of these sound interesting, it's a good place to buy where you're supporting all of us. And so I'm really curious, what are some of your favorites from this list? Okay. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously are a type nerd, but a fun one. So <laughs> I have to highly recommend Just My Type by Simon Garfield. This is my most fun typographic book I've read and have reread throughout the years. I think I actually read this my sophomore year. My professor lent his copy to me. And I think I was at a point where I was like, I'm going to love typography. I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to be the nerdiest type nerd in my class at school. <laughs> and I thought it was actually probably going to be more of an intense read. But then I started reading it. I was like, oh my God, I'm like laughing every other page. <laughs> I like, But I also like mind blown by some of these facts. It's It takes a really good look at typography and culture and kind of will give you so many good fun facts about typography in a little bit more verbose way than just spitting out facts and still give me some historical context that's just really digestible and is gets rid of any of the tough jargon and allows you as a type nerd to read it or to anyone that's at all interested in typography. I think this is a really fun book. It seems to, you know, I haven't read this one yet and I've always wanted to. It's been on my list of things to, to buy. But it seems from the description like it's very similar to the way that you approach Nerd Alert. Like here's some historical totally. stories that are entertaining and interesting and factual. And you'll yes. like learn about type by, you know, jumping into this interesting context in history. It definitely like influenced my style of like storytelling for Nerd Alert. The way that they have the wonderful tone that's light and fun, but also really informative. I know even the Baskerville Nerd Alert, I got a lot of that information from just my type because they, mm. they were the one that told me that John Baskerville was buried, I think like vertically because yeah. he just was like that. <laughs> I do remember that from one of the Nerd Alerts. You talking about that. I was like, what? Yeah, it's a fun one. So I love just my type. Let's see. There's really some books that I idolize a lot. Uh, I gotta highlight the first one on the list, The Elements of Typographic Style, because that's one of my favorite type books of all time. And uh, you want to talk about nerdy. This is like detailed, nerdy, 
everything that you need to know, like a whole college education on print design in this one crazy little book where it goes into extreme detail. It's not even written by a designer. I think the person that wrote it is a poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Robert Bringhurst. He just cared so much about typesetting because he was a poet and detailed it in pretty explicit chunks in the book. Frankly, I have never gotten through the entire thing. It's Mm -hmm. a textbook, essentially. And I hope I'm not being intimidating by describing this because it's sort of like I could open it to a random page and learn how to typeset in this scenario, like how to make tiny subtitles and why they should be all caps with extra letter spacing between them, like details like that. This is the way that you should change the typography and why that works. Or here is how to lay out a page and why there should be an extra chunk of space near the spine when you're making a spread. Like crazy details like that that are extremely practical. Totally. I have to say, this was a signed reading for me my first like year into studying typography. And I couldn't fully like get into it because it's pretty dense. And, you know, I was it's not like super fun and whimsical. It's very quite serious and sometimes poetic, but I have to say it is easily the type book that I go to the most, that I reference the most, that I will reread certain sections the most. I, again, have not read every single thing. I think there's a huge section on paper layout and how the size of your paper will like matter in relation to your typography. That's incredibly Mm. detailed I certainly haven't read but I think even before I teach whether that was with you Micah or like my workshop I do with the illustration department I go to it and I read it a little bit because it's a good reminder about why certain type styles look a certain ways or why we do these type rules and why this type rule is important so if you want to break it you should know why you should be breaking it Mm. It, it really is quite a bible and the way that writers will reference style guides i will likely reference the elements of typographic style that is a great way to put it i like that a lot because it's it's not something you read through cover to cover but it's something that you keep on your shelf and then you pull off every couple months and be like I need to learn a new technique here. Yeah, yeah, no, so that one's really fun. And I do want to know, hand in hand, I think the best pairing, if you're going to do like a little food tasting here, my favorite (laughs) pairing would be the elements of typographic style with Ellen Lupton's thinking with type. That I think is also a really essential resource. And this was actually assigned with the elements of typographic style when I was first learning typography. And I love reading Ellen Lupton's book because it had such like a lighthearted voice. There's lots of visuals, lots of examples, similar type rules, and a lot of examples of contemporary type and fonts and showing why certain things don't look as good as the other way to do things. And I think it's a great visual reference for anyone that's learning type. They have the anatomy, they have typesetting grids and guides, layout, the nitty gritty. And there's some leak fonts actually featured in the book as well. So it's hard to look at over. I remember you telling me that and I was very surprised. Like what an honor to be in an Ellen Lepton book. What? Right? It's... It really did make me happy. I think there's a page about, you know, why fonts are free, aren't free. And I think we got featured. And that was when the open source movement was just beginning, I think was when the latest edition came out. And so it really did look like we were innovators of the field. 
I mean, we were. <laughs> <laughs> so, Micah, are there any other books on here that you want to pick out before this gets too lengthy? Shoot. I mean, Never Use Futura, which is a fairly recent release. And we did a whole podcast on this, didn't we? I, I don't know if we did a whole podcast. It was two years ago, but we definitely talked about it. Yeah. Well, in any case, we talked about it at length, and it was a fascinating book because it really went deep on one particular font and how much that font has been used in various different outlets in cultural history in fairly recent times because the, you know the font's only 50 something years old whatever yeah douglas thomas just really does a crazy good deep dive on futura and he also did a talk on futura at type weekend that was really fascinating and placed it in different historical and social contexts but i think the cover is amazing it says never use futura unless you are Nike, Wes Anderson, David Fincher, Barbara Kruger, and then just keeps on going. It's like 50 names on the cover, um, which is hilarious. And then you read the cover and you're like, "That they use Futura? They use Futura? What? And it makes you literally want to read the book. And it's a really great deep dive. Futura is on the moon, I like to remind people. It's the <laughs> font that's on the moon. So Shoot. it's really something that's special. And you know, with the Futura now coming out recently, it's kind of been getting more attention lately. And I think it's going to be a timeless font that never gets old i think that also will speak to all the people who love our normal nerd alerts because there's a lot of cultural context and fun mm -hmm. facts that you learn by mm -hmm. reading the many places that it was used and uh, you know it's kind of like a cool mix of history and and practical useful stuff absolutely and if anyone wants a hint to our next interview we it's one of the authors that's on this learn page on our website. So <laughs> that might tip you off of it. I'm not going to give away too much, but we're very excited for the interview. Yeah, that is going to be great. We're, we're talking to this very talented and wonderful educator next week. And so that means hopefully in a couple weeks or something, we'll have a sweet new bonus episode to share with everybody. Yeah, very excited about it. All right, Micah, that was a good run. Yeah, fun, nice, light nerd alert for this week. There's obviously a bunch more books, and if any of them pique your interest, hopefully that'll give you some, some cool nerdy learning. Absolutely. And if you guys have any favorite books that uh, you don't see on our Learn page, I think we have about, you know, maybe close to 10 books on there. Please let us know. We loved hearing about new resources and what we can share with our audience. So hit us up, Twitter, Instagram, email. You're around. Totally. All right. We will catch you next week with more fun type stuff to talk about. Absolutely. See you later. Bye.